Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring some of the popular daytime radio serials, including Just Plain Bill, Ma Perkins, and Stella Dallas, as we continue our salute to radio station KFI in Los Angeles on their 50th anniversary. Our host for this program is Jim Amici. This is Jim Amici, adding my salute to KFI on this anniversary. Over the years, there were many daytime serials. We used to call them soap operas, which were heard on KFI. I wonder how many of you remember Road of Life or When a Girl Marries. There was Portia Face's Life and Young Witter Brown. One of the very first of the soap operas was heard right here on KFI every day at 2.30. The program was Just Plain Bill. For his millions of radio friends, we now present Just Plain Bill, Barber of Hartville, the real-life story of a man who might be your own next-door neighbor and of people just like people we all know. Just plain Bill. Bill's daughter Nancy and her husband, Carrie Donovan, know now why Bill wasn't seen after arriving at the Huckleberry Hill estate to keep an appointment with wealthy Evelyn Groves. For a few minutes ago, Bill was found near the lake unconscious, struck down by an unknown assailant. And while Nancy and Carrie try to make Bill comfortable in the boathouse, Evelyn's widowed mother, Judith Seymour, stands at a window of the main house watching her young protege, Rudy Blanton, running up the driveway. Now, a moment later, Rudy bursts into the room. Are you all right, Judith? Are you all right? Why, Rudy, darling, of course I am. But uh, Leslie said after you hung up, when I telephoned you, I'd found Mr. Davidson, he said you went all to pieces. <laughs> Did I sound upset to you, Rudy? Well, no, you didn't. But... You sounded almost hysterical over the telephone. Well, uh, how would you like to be walking along by the lake and suddenly see somebody lying there, all crumbled up? Poor Mr. Davidson. What, oh, Judith, at first I... I thought he was dead. I told Leslie you'd exaggerate the situation. Well, even so, Mr. Davidson got a terrible blow on the head, Judith. That doctor better get down there soon or Mr. and Mrs. Donovan will be fit to be tired. Who? Mr. Davidson's daughter and her husband. What? Didn't you know they were here? No. No, I didn't. They didn't lose much time getting here, did they? Well, they were worried before they phoned you, Judith, but when you told them Mr. Davidson hadn't been seen... Rudy... I wonder what made them think Mr. Davidson might have had an accident. An accident? You think he got that lump on the back of his head by accident? We'll assume that until we know differently. Okay, but if you ask me... Nobody has asked you yet. So that's why Leslie told you I needed your attention here at the house. You... you are all right, aren't you, Judith? Oh, don't be stupid, Rudy. Of course I am. Well, then why did Leslie tell me a thing like that? To get rid of you, Rudy. You never did know when to hold your tongue. Me? You should have heard the things Leslie said. I'm not worried about him, but you... Judith, you're scared of something. Listen to me, darling. 
Can't you see the position we're in? All of us. You mean on account of Evelyn changing her will? I mean because she's about to. Because she went to Mr. Donovan, a lawyer, and told him she was going to have a child. I hate to see you cut out of her will, Judith, but I'm glad if she's caught on to that fortune-hunting husband of hers. Oh, thank heaven Leslie got rid of you before you started talking like that in front of the Donovan. Isn't it the truth? The only truth that interests me right now is the fact Evelyn misunderstands Leslie's attitude. And mine, No Ruby. wonder. To know your own mother hates you. If you ever say anything like that again... All right. Rudy, we mustn't quarrel now of all times. I'm proud to say I was part of these radio soap operas as the announcer on Big Sister and the last several years on Amos and Andy. For more than a quarter of a century, these programs helped millions of women while away their daytime hours. Here's a potpourri of some of the programs you might have heard during the golden days of radio. Yes, it's the Does program, Road of Life. The Guiding Light. Brought to you by the makers of P&G Soap, the white naphtha soap. Get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, They Can Sade, written by Paul Riley. Pepper Young's Family. The story of your friends, the Youngs, is brought to you by Camay, the mild beauty soap for a smoother, softer complexion. dedicated to the mothers and fathers of the younger generation and to their bewildering offspring. Tonight we present Chapter 8, Book 43, entitled Further Developments Concerning the Man with the Funny Hair Trip. The man with the strange hair trim and with the $5,000 pinned in his coat pocket who lay broken at the foot of a precipice at the Sky Ranch is already passing out of the barber's range of vision and knowledge. Although he still lies down on the bank of the creek where Hank and Pinky found him, he's been completely taken over by a man in plain clothes who identified himself as Carter, and by a nurse, Mary Wagner, who answered the emergency call and has prepared him on a stretcher for the trek from the creek up to the house where the ambulance is waiting. This is the right to happiness, brought to you by... We present again today, Backstage Wife, the story of Mary Noble, a little Iowa girl who marries Larry Noble, handsome matinee idol, dream sweetheart of a million other women, 
and her struggle to keep his love in the complicated atmosphere of backstage life. Smile a while with Lorenzo Jones and his wife, Belle. We all know couples like lovable, impractical Lorenzo Jones and his devoted wife, Belle. Lorenzo's inventions have made him a character to the town, but not to Belle, who loves him. Their struggle for security is anybody's story. But somehow with Lorenzo, it has more smiles than tears. We now present the exciting, unforgettable radio drama, Front Page Barrel, the story of a cracked newspaper man and his wife, the story of David and Sally Farrell. Today, David is covering the story which he calls High Explosive. Joyce Jordan, M.D. When Ernest Eden, my foster son, brought one of his schoolmates home for dinner, he warned me that the boy was unhappy because of a family situation. John Ruskin wrote this. Whenever money is the principal object of life, it is both got ill and spent ill and does harm both in getting and spending. When getting and spending happiness is our aim, life can be beautiful. Life can be beautiful is an inspiring message of faith drawn from life, written by Carl Bixby and Don Becker and brought to you by Spick and Span. No soap, no other cleaner. Nothing in America cleans painted walls, woodwork, and linoleum like Spick and Span. Gentlemen, the American Forces Radio and Television Service proudly presents the Retirement 2, yet third. You know, Bill, I'm retiring next month, and I've already registered with the Department of Defense Referral Program. That's a computer bank that matches up your skills with civilian job openings, right? Yeah, I'm letting them find me a job to match my training. So what do you do? I'm a gourmet. A gourmet, huh? That's somebody in a tuxedo who overeats. Referral is a program that matches your job skills with openings. Transition is a program that trains you for new jobs if you want. I wonder, could they train me for a new job? Like what? Well, I always wanted to be a playboy. You're really retiring from the Army, hey, Phil? Yeah. I wanted to get out before all my friends got so bald and fat they didn't recognize me anymore. Financial security, civilian health benefits, job training, and placement. Just a few of the benefits of retirement from the armed forces. Find out about all of them from your personnel officer. Yes, sir. Another program that was immensely popular, heard every afternoon, was Stella Dallas. Stella believed that her simple, homely personality had no place in the life of her daughter, Laurel, now that Laurel was married to wealthy Richard Grosvenor. However, seeing Laurel's happiness threatened, Stella sacrifices her own principles against interfering. Day after day, for over two decades, Stella was involved in plots that stretched the imagination. Here's a portion 
of an early episode. And now, Stella Dallas. The True to Life sequel is written by us to the world-famous drama of mother love and sacrifice. And now for our sequel to Stella Dallas. Stella Dallas is in New York with her daughter Laurel, clearing up the mystery surrounding the theft of an Egyptian mummy. The mummy was stolen during a Washington Society reception given by Mrs. Grosvenor, the mother of Laurel's husband, Dick, for Sheik Ahmed of Egypt. The circumstances all point to Stella being responsible for the theft, but she discovers the real truth, that posing as Ahmed is Ahmed's twin brother, Rashid, who, with the help of a man named Jeff Kentrell, is trying to swindle Mrs. Grosvenor out of a large sum of money. Positive that Rashid's accomplice, Jeff Kentrell, is an acquaintance of her old friend, Ed Munn, Stella goes to Ed in New York, and in his flat, which Cantrell has forced Ed to lend him, she discovers the real Ahmed, a prisoner. While Cantrell is out, Stella rescues Ahmed, and they decide to hurry back to Washington to confront Rashid before Cantrell discovers Ahmed's escape and can warn Rashid that the game is up. Now a little later at the Pennsylvania Railroad Terminal in New York, Stella and Ahmed are about to board the Washington train. You're sure, Madame Dallas, that Laurel and Mr. Munn were not causes to miss our train to Washington? Oh, we still got a few minutes before the train leaves on it. It won't take Lolly and Ed longer to send that wire to Dick. Uh, how long will we be on the train, Madame? A little over four hours. Oh, that's a long time. Yes, we can only get to Washington before Cantrell finds out you've escaped and warns Rashid to skip town. We'll be able to catch Rashid and make him tell us where the missing Egyptian mummy is. Another daytime soap opera which lasted for over 25 years was Oxidol's own Ma Perkins. Listen to these last moments from the last program in 1959 of Ma Perkins. Ma Perkins again. This was our broadcast, 7,065. <laughs> I first came to you on December 4th, 1933. Thank you for all being so loyal to us these 27 years. The part of Willie has been played right from the beginning by Murray Forbes. Shuffle was played for 25 years by Charles Eggleston, and for the last two years by Edwin Wolfe. The fay you've been hearing these past few years has been Margaret Draper, and the part was played for many years by Rita Ascot. For 15 years, our Evie has been Kay Campbell. Helen Lewis plays Gladys, and Tom Wells has been played by John Larkin and Casey Allen. Our director is Richard Leonard. Our writer for more than 20 years has been Aaron Tavroff. Ma Perkins has always been played by me, Virginia Payne. And if you'll write to me, Ma Perkins, at Orleans, Massachusetts, I'll try to answer you. Goodbye, and may God bless you. Following the daytime serials, the afternoon adventure shows took over. They included Terry and the Pirates, Little Orphan Annie, Superman, and one which I was associated with for several years. As a matter of fact, I was cast in the original lead. Now, here's a portion of a 1935 episode of Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. Ruff! Ruff! Jack Armstrong! 
Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy, is on the air, in person, to get you to eat Wheaties. Fellows, girls, hang on for thrills, excitement, adventure. Today, Wheaties bring you a story of champions in action. Yesterday, after the pelican caught fire, Jack offered to take a line across the packed ice floes so that Captain Hands and his men might be rescued with a breeches boy. Here we are on deck. Jack has just started across. Listen. Get off there, man, with that block and tackle. Look alive there, you men. Watch it, lad. Go easy. Yes, there's lots of time, Jack. I'll get them. Just keep paying off the line. Sing out if you need help. I'll come after you. We'll be watching you all the way, Jack. We can see you playing against the fire on the pelican. If you get into trouble, we won't leave you out there. Okay, but don't come unless I call. Long. Better not shout to him anymore. Let him give all his attention to what he's doing. He'll need to be on the alert every step of the way. Aye, and I hate to see him go where I can't help him. Seems to me he's going too fast. That's all right. He's getting along swan to start. First ice blow is pretty solid. There'll be others far more treacherous. And the worst of it is there'll be places where we can't see him. Those big hummocks will hide him more and more as he goes along. Oh, they will. And just when we're most anxious to see him. I believe he'll pick his way so he'll keep inside as much as he can. I hope he doesn't try. He ought to pick the best way and forget everything else. Aye, and we've still got the line to keep track of him by. If he stops pulling it out, we'll know something's happened. Aren't you paying it out a bit too fast, Captain? It's coiling up down below us on the ice. I want it to. I aim to give him plenty of slack so as to put as little drag on him as possible. If only it doesn't get tangled up in those big hollocks. I don't see how it can. Unless it's caught in a crack or something. The ice is so smooth it ought to slide easy all the way. I'll bet he hardly feels it. He'll feel it before he's through. He'll be pulling quite a weight of it by the time he's clear across. Aye, but it can't be helped. Dear, maybe we should have used a lighter one. This one's as light as we dared use, Betty. It has to be strong enough to pull two heavy ropes across when we get it there. Tackle, too, if the men on the Pelican need it. There'll be no time for pulling it back and forth. They'll have their own tackle. No ship would be without it. They have a fire on board, Captain. We can't tell what's been destroying. Gee, it sure is blazing up now. The worst of it seems to be in the back and the stern of the ship, though. Use the glasses, Northrop. See what's up on board. Yes, Captain, I, I'd forgotten them. I was so busy watching Jack. He's still getting along swell. Yes, but he's going behind the first big hummock now. Well, we'll see him again when he gets a little beyond it. You watch the Pelican, Northrop. Keep the glasses on her and tell us what the men are doing. You ought to see him plain the way the blaze is now. We'll keep track of Jack. Very well. But if you'd prefer to use the glasses yourself, Captain... I've got my job here paying out the rope. Gosh, Jack's out of sight now. He's still going along at the same rate, though. You can tell by the way the rope slides out. Maybe the men on the Pelican can see him. They ought to be now if they've had their own glasses on us. But it's not as bright over here as it is there. They won't be able to see so well. What can you make out, Northrop? Do they seem to be watching him? No, I don't believe they've noticed him yet. They're still fighting the fire as best they can. I see. Oh, racer. Gosh, the rope stopped. Jack must be stuck. It jerked first and then stopped. Aye, six or eight feet shot forward all of a sudden. It's not moving, no. Oh, what could have happened? Do you suppose he slipped and fell? That wouldn't cause so much rope to jerk forward. No, he pulled on it for some reason. It may have been to tell us he was in trouble. I'd better start after him. Captain... Not yet, Billy. He said he'd yell if he needed help. Yes, and we could hear him if he did. He's not more than 50 or 60 yards out. If we could only see him. Clean your glasses on the line with that hummock he went behind, Northrop. See if you can make out anything at all. I can't, Captain. Not a thing. The rope winds around behind it and... But wait. It seems to be moving there. Yes, it is. It jerked some more. Yep, it did. Three or four more feet shot out. And there's Jack. He's moving over into full view. Oh, he is. I can see him now. So can I. Sure enough. He's looking back and waving. He moved out on purpose so we could catch sight of him. Well, what could be the matter? Has he reached a place we can't get past? I see. He's shouting something. That means I've got to go. Wait. But it's... Quiet, Billy. Listen sharp, all of you. What did he say? He's got to make a jump. Aye. Great Scott. That must mean he's reached the stretch of open water. Oh, oh. Yep, that's it. 
He's stepping back for a short run before he takes off. But he'll slip. He's almost rooted on that ice, and the rope will hold him back. Not a great deal. He took care of that by jerking it forward. He wanted some slack at his feet so he wouldn't feel the pull of the whole length of it while he was jumping. Aye, he's keeping his wits about him. Oh, he's getting ready to run. Can you see the open water, Northrop? Yes, a thin black strip. I can't tell how wide it is from this angle, though. At a rough guess, I'd say eight or ten feet, possibly more. How can he make it from a slippery takeoff? I'll bet he picked a spot with his rough ice at the edge. But even so... There he goes. Oh, if he slips, if he slips at the edge. He didn't. He made a clean jump. Gee, then we'll soon have the breeches boy working. That we will. But say, I've never seen a breeches boy in action. But won't the cable give? I mean, the men will drag along the ice part of the way. That won't matter. We'll not pull them fast enough to hurt them any. Jack's nearly there. The men are waving and shouting to him. Captain Hans is coming down from the bridge to join them at the rail. And there goes another red rocket. I suppose they're setting it off to let us know Jack's nearly with them. Gee, don't they think we're paying any attention to them? I don't believe that's what the rocket means, Billy. Then what are they for? To warn us that the fire is spreading dangerously fast. To let us know we'll have to work the breaches, boys, fast when we get it started. McGregor, have you got that cable fast to the line? Hey, Captain, I've greased the lock, too, so she'll slide easy if she hits that off spot. Jack ought to be the first one to come across. I don't believe he will. He'll figure he can come back across the ice if he has to. He's nearly there. He's nearly there. Yes, by Jove. There's no question but what he'll make it now. And he's going as strong as ever. Look at the pull on that line. Boy, I knew he could do it. He's almost at the pelican side. The men are reaching down to pull him up. Captain Hans is pushing them aside to be the first one to grab him. Hans knows courage when he sees it, Bagotti. He's got him. Jack's made it. Hans is lifting him up on deck. Good for him. Boy, oh, boy. Good for the lad. Men, give him a cheer. The lad's won his way across to the rescue. Let her ring out so he can hear it. Quick, over with the cables, McGregor. They're pulling the line taut. Over she goes, Captain. Stand by, men. There goes another red rocket. They want us to hurry. The time may be far shorter than we think. So Jack reaches the Pelican safely at last. But will there be time to rescue Captain Hands and the crew? Be sure to listen in at the same time tomorrow evening to find out what happens next. This is David Owen saying goodbye for Jack Armstrong and the makers of Wheaties. They're hoping with all of them friends for to try Wheaties. For Wheaties is the best food of men. They're crispy, they're crunchy the whole year through. Jack Armstrong never tires of them and neither will you. So just buy Wheaties, the best breakfast food in the land. This is Jim Amici, again saluting KFI. Radio for me will always be three things. The ears, the mind, and the heart. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. The commercial announcements heard on this program were for historical purposes only and are not an endorsement by the Department of Defense. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.